Hey everyone, you're listening to Something Real. On today's Something to Talk About portion, you're actually going to hear someone else talking. Rich and Gabe sat down and talked a little bit more about what Rich previously discussed on Tuesday. So, I'll let you get to them. I know you'll enjoy this one. Well, for those of us who are around here regularly, we're used to a different voice than we're going to hear today. And so, uh, I should probably introduce... Uh, once again, um, my son, Gabriel. Say hi, Gabe. Howdy. <laughs> Gabe is filling in for our uh, regular host, producer, interviewer, Stacy Blasky, uh, who is unable to be a part of this today. Uh, but Stacy will be back. And for today, Gabe's going to uh, help me as we kind of talk through and converse about uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 17 to 26, as he begins this uh, this sermon um whether you refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, as he's talking through these things, we get to see his teachings. So uh, anything stand out to you, Gabe, that you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm just going to kick it off with the first thing that seemed kind of weird to me was the whole Jesus had power coming from him. Um, I'm just like, could people yeah. could people see the power? Was he glowing? Like, could they feel it? What was going on? Yeah, it kind of has a Marvel Comics feel, right? You something know, something like funky. Like uh, Avengers and Thor has the lightning bolts coming out from him. It kind of gives you that picture. And really, um, it sort of refers back to um, something that Luke records for us in the chapter 5. You know, here we are in chapter 6, and we go back to chapter 5, which seems like a long time ago now because we've been talking about this so much. Um, I think it's verse 17 in chapter 5 where it talks about Jesus is there teaching in the synagogue and um, the power of God uh, to heal was present with him. And so um, John MacArthur and others uh, would say that this was not just a random power that was there, but that was consciously controlled by Christ. Um, I guess I, I would never want to question uh, those who have put way more study into it than, than I have. Um, but it appears to me to be just really the opposite, that uh, folks are there and God has in this moment seen fit for um, the power of healing to be manifest or to be coming out uh, during this particular place. So while Jesus is teaching, those who are there placing their faith in him for this healing, just his presence is enough to, to give life, which is not all that surprising knowing, as Paul said in Colossians, that he is the creator of the universe, that, that Jesus is actually God in the creative sense. So since life is in him and he gives life, uh, it's not surprising that healing would be present in him just naturally in, in who he is. So this power is there. And it seems to be that, um, that God has, has established this particular moment um, to be a powerful time of healing, whatever that means, whatever it looks like. It seems unlikely that it's kind of that Thor picture, you know, where Jesus is flashing, uh, flashing lightning from his eyes and all that sort of thing. That does not appear to be what's going on. But there is that, um, that strange sort of wording that, that Luke uses here. Um, I was reading in, in a couple of different commentaries that this it appears to be like the only time that that word for power, or in, in the King James or older translations, it was translated virtue, where it says virtue had gone out from him. Um, but most um, newer translations would render that power. So that uh, 
that seems to be only used here by Luke in that technical sense and not in other places. So kind of an unusual thing. Gotcha. <clears throat> so another big one where it's talking about, you know, woe are the rich, um, like good, whatever the wording is, like basically good are the poor. Um, why, it just seems weird to me that the rich basically are, it seems to me like they're being punished for having success. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that we run into a lot where uh, we tend to see these passages and here Jesus is saying, blessed are you who are poor, who are, uh, you know, downtrodden or who are rejected and hated for the faith, you know, woe to you or, you know, feel bad for you who are, who are wealthy and, and popular. And it's not really, it's not a condemnation that he's saying. Jesus isn't calling down curses on them or condemning them for being wealthy. And he's certainly not saying that every poor person is godly and righteous. Uh, but it's easy for us to look at it on the surface and, and feel that way. In fact, it's sort of a good counter to the prosperity teaching that we see in so much of uh, evangelical church world today where and not just today it's been going on for a long time where we teach this um, belief that if God is pleased with you you're going to have all this earthly health and and benefits and um, if you have enough faith you're going to have a nice car and a nice house and of course I'm obviously oversimplifying their their teaching but that's the opposite of what this is saying What, what this is saying is you you who are struggling now in all these variety of ways that he's talking about, consider yourselves blessed. Consider yourselves lucky, if I could use that term, uh, because there's a great reward waiting for you in heaven. And yeah, you're mourning now, you're sad now, but you will be comforted. And we see that parallel in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5. Um, whether this is the same event or a different event, he's we see the same teaching. And he's saying, look, when all this stuff is going wrong here, don't stress about it because there's a greater reality. There's more. There's something bigger. And you're you're looking at it through eyes of flesh in this temporary world. And I'm telling you, you're not even scratching the surface. There's so much more. The real reward comes later. And that other reward, you know, Paul says that these light and momentary trials that we're going through now light momentary you know my dad's got cancer you know my my son is is struggling in college or not my son my son's doing great in college. Mm, we're very well, excited so, of course you know but uh as we're as we're going through life how do i deal with my you know my marriage going bad or you know the threats to my uh to my existence if, if we're talking about all the bad things that can happen in life how can you say that you know that this is a blessed thing and and Jesus is saying look you're just seeing this moment by the time we get done you're going to see what Paul sees that these are light and momentary trials by comparison to the greater reality so Paul is saying light and momentary trials working for us a greater eternal glory that's not even worth comparing to to this stuff now this this stuff we're going through the very worst of it can bad things happen to Christians of course they can from our perspective in this temporary world, we're going to have bad things happen. My, my mom just got hit by a, a drunk driver in a truck. You know, bad things happen. Um, but light and momentary trials. And every one of these is an opportunity to represent him. For the rich people, Jesus isn't condemning them so much. He's saying, look, you're, you're getting what you get 
now. And it's easy, you know, you see what Jesus said elsewhere about rich folks. He doesn't condemn wealth to borrow from others. It's okay to have money. It's not okay for money to have you. If you're wealthy, if you're popular, if you're gifted, if you're a a talented baseball player or a a smart and intelligent person for whom studies come easily in school, uh, you you know, you, you kind of cruise through life and everything goes right for you and, and you just seem to have that charmed life. It's really easy to rely on your own abilities, your own skills. And when life is easy, we forget God. The people who are suffering have more of a tendency, not, it's not universal, it's not like a law that he's saying, but almost more proverbial, people that that are downtrodden that are outcasts that are struggling and suffering have more of a tendency to look up and say god help me i need you whereas when i'm on top of the world i'm not looking up anymore i'm looking down saying see what i've got i've got all this strength i've got my ability and my power and we forget about if we don't consciously reject god it's easy for us to forget about god but it's not impossible for a rich person to to get to heaven is it hard sure it's harder than a camel getting through the eye of a needle however you want to work that out it's impossible for us it's only possible for god so back to the original question uh it's not so much that he's condemning rich people he's just saying it's a warning that 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 blessings and woes idea here is really a warning to them don't rely on all of this stuff because it doesn't get better. It only gets worse from here if that's where you find your hope. But if you find your hope in in Christ, then with or without the wealth, it's only up. It's only good. It's only better. With or without the, the suffering, it's only good. If you, whatever you're facing now is of small consequence compared to the greater reality of eternity. And that's kind of the point that he wants us to make, that he wants us to get, is that whether we're poor, whether we're rich, whether we're afflicted, whether we're comfortable, in any situation, we have to get rid of the self-life, the self-focused life, and get the God-focused life in order to connect with what is actually real rather than what seems real. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of with that. I guess it's more more of an issue of don't let your money take over you rather than not not just don't be rich but don't don't let your riches actually own you right that's Um, that's really a big part of what we're talking about in in the big context here that that we see in this whole sermon we'll see it as he goes on through the rest of this chapter um they this is sort of the foundation for that that he's giving a big picture that there's more to reality than what you're seeing now good bad or indifferent it it's small it's temporary it's limited but there's a greater reality and so when we get our eyes off of the now and off of this life that i'm that i'm living whether it's awesome or whether it's horrible when my focus is on the eternal things the unseen things that's when i get elevated beyond my circumstances uh another thing i guess kind of kind of following the suit with that um like I kind of put like why does it matter whether you're rich or poor because in god's eyes aren't all people equal so like why does why do we even go through the effort of saying like woe are the rich blessed are the poor like isn't everybody the same yeah that's actually exactly what jesus is saying is that 
you know, stop seeing things this way. Stop looking at, oh, my poor me. Oh, you know, my, my bad circumstances. Man, you got good stuff coming. If you're in Christ, then people can persecute you for the name, and it doesn't even matter because the reward that follows is so much greater than that. And if you're defining yourself by your riches, by your popularity, by whether people think you're awesome or think you're horrible, if you're defining yourself by that, woe to you. Man, you're missing the point. Because that, and he, and he makes the comparison specifically with the persecution aspect of it. He says, you know, blessed are you if you're persecuted. You should rejoice over that because that puts you in the same category as the prophets of God who were rejected in the past. That's how the world apart from God, treats everybody who represents God. And later on, we see they're going to do that with Jesus too. They do that with everybody who is true to the word of God. So when we see society saying, you know, the church is awesome, we just, this church is so great, there's something wrong there. That, because that's not the pattern that we see for people who are faithful to God's word. When we are connected uh, to the word and speaking the truth on God's behalf, the world around us who is outside of Christ, outside of the word of God and outside of the will of God, they're going to reject that. They always have. That doesn't mean they reject us because we're, you know, unpleasant people. That's a whole other category that he'll talk about at some other time. But as we're working through this, we should rejoice when the world rejects us because there's, there's a connection with those who are faithful to God that runs through that. Likewise, when we're popular and everybody says, hey, look at real life, man, that's, I go to that church, I feel inspired, you know, I, I just really love this church and fill in whatever, whatever uh, name you want to into that blank. When we're overly popular, we should start to be concerned because we're probably not speaking the offensive truth of the gospel of Christ. People are offended when they hear the message that I am not good enough for God and I can't ever be good enough for God and it's only his grace that saves me. That's an offensive truth if I think I'm pretty special. And beyond that, for religious people who are you know, really doing well, seem to have their life together, the, the folks that he describes here, rich, popular, you know, uh, accepted, if I'm in that spot and you're offering grace to that wretched, unforgivable soul, that is really difficult for me to swallow. It's hard for me to recognize that God can give grace to the undeserving people. Now, I can say in theory that I believe I'm also undeserving, but the reality is I probably think that I deserve it more than somebody else. And that's exactly the opposite of what grace is about. The, the, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God's grace given to us in in the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that he died in our place on the cross, is specifically for unforgivable people, for all of us. It's for the same for the victim as it is for the abuser. And that's hard for good citizens to swallow. If I'm the victim, it's hard for me to see God's grace go to the abuser. If I'm the abuser, then... I love that message. I love the message of grace coming to me. Whether I'm sincere or insincere, I'm going to be pretty happy about that. But if I'm, if I'm the one who has been victimized, that's way harder for me to swallow. Yeah, I mean, that, that basically sums up all the, that answered all the questions that I had. Um, I'll, yeah, I'd say that filled up 
Filled up everything I got. Well, that seems like a reasonable place for us to stop then. As we go forward with this, uh, we're going to have Jesus developing these teachings. But it all comes back to this idea that we gotta, we got to get outside of our normal um, here and now sort of thinking that sees our circumstances as we understand it. Uh, as the right thing. And ultimately, we see throughout these teachings that it's, it's really consistent. What Jesus says is consistent with what Paul says, with what James says. Uh, James talks about the, the natural tendency that people have to give special favors to rich people. We get really excited about, you know, the rich people. Here, take, take my seat. You know, famous, you know, Stacy and I had recently talked about uh, Chris Pratt and his uh, speech about the Lord. And, and people get excited when uh, famous you know, celebrities come out and speak about Christ. That's awesome. That's so exciting. As if that's somehow better than when the drunk off the street does. It it's exactly the same. So James, who is the brother of Christ, is he says, stop giving preferential treatment to people that you think are special because of their wealth, because of their influence. It's all the same. Paul says, stop worrying about all of this stuff now. I had all that stuff. I, I consider that garbage compared to knowing Christ. And all of my suffering, psh, that's not even worth thinking about. I've been through all of this junk, all these terrible things and persecutions. I, I said we were going to stop, didn't we? That's mm-hmm. what happens when a preacher starts getting on a microphone. Yeah, it didn't shock me so, at all. <laughs> so when, we, you know, when Paul's going through this, he's saying, I, I've seen all these hardships. It doesn't mean anything. Because Christ alone is what matters. The eternal is so much bigger. So Paul is still celebrating and partying in heaven right now today where you and I are still stuck in our here and now in this small picture in this fishbowl that we live in. And we can't imagine life in the greater ocean. And Jesus is saying, forget about the fishbowl. Right now you're stuck here. But one of these days... There's going to be a reward for you. You're going to get into the ocean of life, this this great, vast expanse of wonder and amazement that God has for you. And all of this stuff just doesn't matter. And that's where he launches into the rest of these uh, behavioral issues and teachings as he clarifies what the Old Testament says. Make sense? Makes a lot of sense now. All right. Well, uh, for those of you who have joined us today, I hope that this uh, conversation as we've been uh, talking back and forth about this stuff has been uh, helpful to you. And uh, we're going to press on. And in Stacy's words, we'll see you next time.